beautiful poinsettias. They were rearranged and by Winter and, and Chloe. Looks really nice up here. You know, if you can tell me which ones are real and which ones are not, uh, I'll let you take one home. Well, you guys already. Yeah, you guys put them up. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. This is this one's. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that, those are. They almost look. They all, they look good. Thank you, guys. Thank you for putting those up. Yeah, really, huh? Let's uh, open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter one as we finish up this chapter. Colossians chapter one. <clears throat> A minister of the gospel. Now, we're coming to the point of uh, the Christmas story. We, we are. I wanted to finish this up and then kind of interject, of course, the first advent, as I mentioned. There were over 300 prophecies in Scripture on the first advent. And did you know that there were at least three times as many, almost a thousand uh, prophecies? There are still a thousand prophecies of Jesus' second coming, second advent. And so. If he came the first time, we need to realize and remember and know that he will come the second time. A lot, a lot of what we see in Scripture uh, always points back to the cross. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned and told God told them that they would die, of course, he extended grace and he covered them with clothing of animals, is what the skins of animals is what uh, the Bible says. And in order for them to be clothed with the skins of animals, there needed to be a sacrifice. Something had to be slain in order... For to give up their skins. And so you see from the very beginning, we start to realize that God is a just God, yes, and he'll punish the sin of the, the world. And, and he also, but, it, but he also is a, a gracious God. It's not that he changed his mind. It's not that he, you know, made an exception. God is a gracious God. And because of his grace, each one of us are here. Each one of us are able to, to breathe the air and eat the food and to live under his sun and the moon and the stars, and we're able to, to operate because of who he is and what he's done. And so as we go into the Advent season, meaning the Christmas season, and we start to count down the days to December 25th, just remember, and, and I've said this before, December 25th is not necessarily, it's not actually Jesus Christ's birthday. Um, various reasons as to why um, we don't hold that December 25th was his birthday. In Israel, it's very cold uh, during this, that time of the year, during this time of the year. And so to have shepherds uh, keep watch over their flock at night was very uh, unlikely. I mean, it, it is cold. The nights are cold anyways, but even brutally cold in the wintertime. For, uh, for there to be a census given by any king during that year was also very difficult. And, and so a king would know of his subjects. You know, I want them all to register because this is something that, that was done by the king. He says, I want them all to register. I want to see where they're at. This way I can tax them is basically the reason that they were doing this. Uh, you know, various other reasons. So we, we, we hold December 25th as a day that, that we, we've been celebrating for many years and mainly because of, again, the same, same reason of, uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, as as uh, the birth of Christ or December 25th. During that time, during the th year 300 or so, there was a king that some say it was uh, Constantine was his name. And not that he was a Christian, but he was partial to Christians. More than likely, his wife was a Christian. And so he pretty much mandated and put it in the law, this whole land will be a Christian land. And so he got all the pagan rituals and all the Christian rituals and the remembrances of Christ and, and the death of, and the burial of Jesus Christ and the pagan holidays that they celebrate during those festivals, those uh, solstice. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he combined them all together. Long story short, 
the Resurrection Sunday, Easter fell on uh, the, the equinox of spring and, and also of, uh, during the time of, of uh, the winter. And it, J- December 25th just happened to be one of the celebrations. They put them all together. Let's celebrate Jesus Christ and everything else during this time. You'd think that would be a good thing, but since then, from the beginning, the birth and the death of Jesus Christ have been commercialized from that very beginning, that point. Even to the point nowadays where they have removed Christ from Christmas, then they've taken Christ out of Christmas and they've made it Xmas. Now, to be honest with you, me personally, you know what? The more that the world can take Christ and, and stop defaming his name and the birth of Christ and out of it, and if you guys want to have your whatever it is celebrations, do it. You know, but leave us alone. We, it's still Christmas for me. It's still the birth of Christ that we celebrate, not the time. Uh, another thing, too, one of the things that people didn't do in the ancient days, they wouldn't remember, they wouldn't keep and hold birth dates. One of the reasons was because uh, you just you just didn't do that. I mean, there was no sense in, in realizing it. The only thing that they realized or they remembered was the death of the person. But birth dates were only remembered by the elite or by those that were very superstitious because if you knew under which star or which sign or which season you were born, then you can calculate and you can foretell your future and then what type of person you were going to be, type of king or whatever the case may be. And in the Bible, there are only two birthdays that are celebrated, and both of them are kings and both of them are wicked. Pharaoh in uh, during the time of Moses and uh, Caesar, which is uh, which is in the time of Jesus Christ. And so these two kings, you know, he had... Uh, he he had um, well anyways there were these two wicked kings and I'm getting them the stories mixed up right now but but anyways those are the only two birthdays that we we realize and we see in scripture and so birthdays have always been commonly traditionally and superstitiously celebrated like this if you know when your birthday is going to be then on the night of the day that you were born what you would do is you would take a candle and you would pray to your saint or your demon or whatever it was the person the thing that was looking over you you would pray to it and you would ask that deity to grant you one wish and once that wish was was stated then you would close your eyes and you would blow out the candle and so you see how a lot of this has a lot of similarity to our birthdays and the the secularization of it and so i mean there are some religions jehovah's witnesses mainly that you know don't want anything to do with birthdays and rightly so i can see why however for christians we have what we have done is we have redeemed the fact that yes we celebrate the life and the breath and the, the the gift of life that a child brings to us and we celebrate every year and we are not asking our kids to pray to the demons or to do those things but that's where a lot of this has come from and a lot of it is, a lot of it has crept into the church and so when we talk about Christmas, we talk about December 25th, the, the one thing that I try to stress more than anything else, it's not about Santa, it's not about the gifts, it's about Jesus Christ invading this planet. And I'll get, some, I'll get into more detail about that as the weeks come along. He came onto this planet to save sinners just like you and me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's why it's joy to the world, because it is amazing grace. And that grace has been extended out to you and to me. By the grace of God, we are still here. 
As we celebrate Christmas, help us remember, it's not about Santa. It was, um, I heard the story once, and I don't know if it's true or not, but of this little boy that went with his mom to the mall, and uh, they were buying Christmas presents, and, and he saw this huge line all going to this little house, and the little boy says, Mom, what's this line for? Oh, well, this line here, this line here is for those that want to see Santa. And he goes, oh. And he looks around and says, so where's the line for Jesus? Isn't it Jesus' birthday? Where's the line for Jesus? And rightly so, if you think about how, what that, the significance of that, that's where this culture, this world has gone. And many people don't want to do anything with Christmas. Oh, yeah, but don't forget to bring me a Christmas present. A lot of people don't want anything to do with Christ. But yes, I still want to eat turkey and ham on that. I want that day off still. You know, I want to be able to celebrate with my family the way I want to celebrate. And this is why I've said repeatedly that People are not searching for Jesus. They're not searching. They're not looking. They're not wanting to be close to Him. They want the benefits of Christ. They want the salvation. They want the celebration. They want the time off. They don't necessarily want, they're not seeking for God, but they want the benefits of God. Most people want their sin to be erased, their guilt to be taken away, their shame to be just put aside. Most people want to go to heaven. They do. But what they don't want is to submit to the authority and to the, and to the sovereignty of God who created all of us and saved us. Most people don't want to go that far. They just want the benefits. And so when we talk about Christianity, we talked about this last week, we talk about how Christ has come into this world to save sinners like you and me. We have to remember that not everybody that claims to be a Christian is going to be there. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 7, because Paul said this in in, um, Colossians chapter 1, when he said in verse 23, we talked about this, and let me start in verse 21 just to kind of get a... You know, to to see where we're at on this. In in verse 21, he says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things or evil deeds. We talked about how each one of us, we were hostile. In other words, angry or hated God. We were enemies of God, Paul says in other places. Uh, He says there's no one righteous that he says in Romans 3.10. There's no one righteous. No, not Romans 3.23, excuse me. In Romans 3.10, he says no one is seeking God. No one is after God. In Ephesians 1, he says we were all dead to our sins. We were alienated. We were set apart. None of us wanted to do anything with God. We wanted to live our life the way we felt was right. As long as I was good. I didn't need anybody telling me what to do. And Paul is stressing this point. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith and stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul says, if you, it's it's not saying, you know, you may fall away. What happens if you fall away? No, he is saying this is the indicator of your life. When, When you see that you go through all these struggles, you go through life and you go through all this pain and you go through all whatever is going on in life. And when you come out at the end, still standing for the Lord, because your faith is going to be tested. Your faith is, your, your devotion is going to be tested. Your stance is going to be tested. And you're going to be tested and you're going to be made to make a stand. And you may not be executed. Ken, can you give me some more batteries? It sounds like this one's back dying out. You may not be, you know, threatened with execution. 
You may not be, you know, cast out from your home or all your property taken away, but there is a persecution in a sense to maybe when your kids want to, you know, they invite your children to go to a sleepover and you know that there's, it's just going to be a very, you know, immoral, illegal, you know, place where people are getting drunk and kids are going to be exposed to all kinds of things. And you kind of make a stand and says, no, I don't want my children to be exposed to that. Right away, they're going to say, what are you, do you think you're too good for us? <laughs> you know, and right away, the persecution starts in a sense to where you start to separate yourself. You know, I don't want my children exposed to certain things. And, and right away, the accusations fly. You might be at work. You might have a, a Christmas party or something coming up. And they'll be partaking of things that they'd want you to partake of. You'll have to make a stand and says, you know, I, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And I can't, I can't condone that. You know, and most people think, you know, as long as I stand on the edge, you know, and, and I'll laugh. Some people like to live vicariously through other people just to see them and, and they get thrilled by what they're doing. Whoa, what, and then what happened? And, and they're asking questions. Beloved, we need to be separated. You're separated. And we may not be getting persecuted in that sense, like I said. However, persecution will come through your family. You're going to church, but it's Christmas. It's, it's on December 25th is on Sunday. Yeah, but I'm going to church. But we're all gathering together. You're going to go to church? Come on, man. And you're going to see the accusations fly. The persecution may not be as severe as some of those that are experiencing it throughout the world. But beloved, it's coming and it will come. And you'll have to make a stand. You'll have to make a stand as far as what it is that you're going to stand for. And there needs to be that stand because you're separate. Because we talked about this last week. A lot of people are going to come and say to Jesus, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we, you know, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of miracles and signs in your name? And Jesus is going to look at them and says, you know what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. You had a lot of lip service. You said all kinds of stuff, but you know what? It wasn't in my name that you did it. And so when Paul says, if you continue on, if you continue, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast. That is your indicator in your life that, you know what? I'm standing firm regardless of what happens, regardless of what people say, regardless of what my family might say. I'm standing firm. I'm standing fast. Now, some of you may not be pushed to that limit as of yet, but it'll come. It'll be tempting to just quit and stop at that point. Excuse me here for just a moment. I'm ready now. Fire the gospel gun. Amen. Here we go. So this is where Paul, he, he, he falls off that he says, of which I became a minister. Let's read about verses 24 through the end of the chapter. Now he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in the flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that we conclude in this chapter. Help us to get the whole gist of what Paul is saying here from the very beginning to right now. And Lord, Paul is, is just is on fire. He is just in love with this church. 
And he wants to make sure that this church stays holy and blameless and above reproach. And so he is, he is leading, he is discipling, teaching them these theological thoughts in, in bite-sized pieces so that they can re- retain it and work through it in this perverse and uh, evil generation. And the church was being infiltrated by all sorts of thought and philosophies and traditions. And he's calling them out. You, you need to remain faithful, steadfast, steady. And Father, the message is still relevant to us today that we too can stay steady and steadfast. I know that we can have numbers, many people here, if we would just compromise the word. But Lord, the conviction within this group, within this church, has been never compromise. And Lord, we stand on that principle. Your word is solid. We're going to preach it and teach it, and we're going to live it because it is your word. So thank you, Lord, once again for what you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen Amen and amen. All right. Number one, I will rejoice in all things. I will rejoice in all things. And that wasn't supposed to, well, it's okay. You'll see a little bit later. <laughs> Paul says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Remember, Paul is rejoicing. Paul is glad. Remember in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord uh, always. And again, I say rejoice. And he was constantly telling me, just be excited, be glad, sing songs and hymns and, and, and thanksgiving and praise and supplication to God. And he is just, and you got to remember, he's, you, you might be thinking, you know, Paul must have been at a really exciting church, man. That place must have been jumping for him to be so excited and, and always telling people, you guys have to, have to have a good time in Christ. You have to remember that Paul was in prison. He was locked up. He was getting ready to be executed. As a matter of fact, tradition tells us that he was uh, beheaded. We don't have that in Scripture. But those that have documented history from, the, from way back when, they've, know, they've recognized and realized that Paul was beheaded along with a lot of the other disciples. We don't know from the scriptures what happened to them, but tradition tells us various ways in which they all died. And they all died a very gruesome death. They didn't die just because. They were called to renounce Christ. And Paul knows that this is coming. He just, he, he witnessed Stephen being stoned at, at his hands. People laid their cloaks and their garments in front of him while he was taking care of their things, their iPods and cell phones or whatever, while they picked up these rocks and they killed one of the deacons of the church. Stephen, a man full of wisdom, a man full of power of the Holy Spirit. And they stoned him to death and Paul gave approval of all that. He, his name was Saul at that time. And Saul, this vile, wicked Pharisee, was on his way to Damascus to capture more Christians and to take away their possessions and throw them into prison, have some of them executed just to teach them a lesson. This Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Beloved, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes who you are. It changes your name. You're no longer that murderer. You're no longer that addict. You're no longer that that person that was hurting people. You're no longer that person. I know that very many, and I was talking to a friend of mine just yesterday about, you know, his struggles and the things that he's been going through. He says, you know, Pastor Sal, I, I got to stay away from these celebrate recoveries and these 12 steps. I mean, they're good. They help and everything else. But, but every time that they announce who they are, they say, hi, my name is Sal and I'm an addict. And you know, I'm not an addict anymore, but you got to identify yourself as one because to them, once an addict, once an alcoholic, once whatever, always an alcoholic. And I'm not. I am a new creation. I am brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul himself says, you know, 
Jesus gave me a different name. Yes, I was Saul. I'm still the same. I was, I'm still the same person in, in the, the history that I was, but I'm a new person now. And, and my name now is Paul. And that's exactly what God does to you. He changes who you are. And you're born again. You have a new identity. You let go of the past and you move forward. And Paul says, you know, and now that I'm in prison. And you know, the reason he was in prison, the reason he was in prison was because of a church just like Colossians. Just like the people in Coloss and Philippi, in all the churches in Galatia, in all the churches that he planted, he planted churches for the Gentiles. And they were, if you look at Acts chapter 20 and his arrest and how he's given his testimony and how he's saying, he's, he's telling everything that I just mentioned to you about him traveling to, Ma- to Damascus and the bright light blinded three, three days and in the wilderness for three years. And, and then he says, and then I became a minister to the Gentiles. As soon as he said that, everybody around him just tore their clothes. How dare you bring Gentiles into this mix of what God is doing? We don't believe what you're saying. We don't believe what you're doing. But then on top of that, to bring out Gentiles, people like Sal, people like Daniel, people like James, you know, people like Ken, especially people like Ken. No, <laughs> people like those guys, you're going to bring them in? And Paul, and, and, and so the people were just, at, they threw him in prison. You know what? Away with you. We don't want to hear any more what you have to say. Paul was in prison for ministering to people just like you and me. People that society had given up on. People that didn't want anything to do with you. These are the people that Paul was ministering to. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. He was in prison for your sake, he says, because of what I've been doing. And and I'm only reminding you because I want you to remember this, that I'm not in no resort. I'm I'm praising God and and I'm suffering. And I I want you to know that I'm suffering in my flesh. And the reason Paul says this, remember, uh, the Gnostics, that the flesh was evil. And, and everything else was, you know, everything was evil except for the spirit. And so he says, you know, my flesh, you know me. I, I'm a very flesh. I was a very flesh, flesh uh, per- person. Per- and uh, I was um, carnal, I guess is the word I want to use. The car- a very carnal Christian. I was at that time very carnal and I still seem to fall, but that's not an excuse. Somebody brought that up to me one day. He says, you know, hey, well, Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I seems like I do. And I don't do the things I need to do. And I go to him, brother. That's not a monopoly card where you get out of jail for free card. That's not what that is. That's not an excuse for your behavior. It's not. It's not an excuse. Paul was saying, yes, I struggle, but I overcome, and I overcome, and I overcome. For for thanks be to God. Then what can we say? We are more than conquerors. People just stop at chapter 7, and they don't go into chapter 8, where now, what shall we say? Well, we are more than conquerors because of the grace of God. We are. We conquer. We overcome. Don't stop at seven. Go to chapter eight and realize and recognize that you are a new creation. And so he says here, he says, you know, for your suffering in, the, in my flesh. And remember, the, the, the people that were talking to people in Coloss, they would make fun of Paul. He's in prison. I mean, how, how spiritual can he be? He's locked up. <laughs> Come on. You, you're going to listen to a man in prison? Now think about that for a little bit. You know, people are giving you, people in prison are giving you advice. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to take that advice. And plus, not only that, it, it's godly advice, spiritual advice, theological advice. 
And so, so these people were just laughing at Paul and they, and Paul just says, yeah, I am in prison. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And he says, he says to them, he says, uh, and for my, in my flesh, I was filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. This is a little complicated here. What do you mean he was lacking? What do you mean he was filling up for Christ's affliction or the afflictions of Christ? What he was lacking? What, do you, what is, what is he trying to suffer for Christ or make more? Uh, because Jesus Christ didn't suffer enough or, you know, and so people have gone back and forth. Basically, this, I'm just going to, in a nutshell, say this, that Paul is basically saying here when he says, um, I, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ. In other words, you know, for all the sin that we've done and everything that we, that has happened to us in our life, everything that has gone on in, in, in the whole world, Jesus Christ paid the penalty in one day. And in the second day, Hey, and in the second day, uh, you know, he was, he was in, de- he was dead. On the third day, he resurrected. In three days that Jesus Christ suffered for us. And Paul is saying, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, that's not even enough for my sin. I really wish it, you know, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to joyfully, gleefully, I'm going to just, you know what? If they want to sacrifice, if they want to, if they want to crucify somebody else for the sake of his body, the church, let them do it to me. I'll take it. Whatever it is that they're going to do. If they want to sacrifice and want to cause more suffering to the church, let it be to me. Paul says, I'll take it gladly and I'll do it rejoicing, which is what he did, what Peter did. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified right side up. And during the time that his wife was being crucified, tradition has it that his wife was saying, you just keep going, Peter. Just don't worry about me. And, and, and why crucify me upside down? It's all right. And as they were yelling back and forth, thrown in a vat of oil, John was, sawed in two uh, that people were, you know, impaled with, with, a, with a sword and with a spear. I mean, just the, the ugliness of these crimes, how they were hung upside down, how they were, they were peeled, filleted lit on fire for amusement, just torches for parties that they would have. Bring me a few Christians, you know, put them up on a stake, light them on fire, and yeah, they, they make good burning rods, you know. It's like, it was just ugly. But every one of them gladly, willfully went and says, do it to me, you know, because my Christ has already done it for me now. And he didn't, you know, I know that my sin was grievous, but yet, uh, if you're going to continue, if you want to you take it out on Christ, take it out on me instead. Not the church. Paul says, not the church. He says, I want to. That is the church. Number 20, uh, 25, 29, excuse me. No, that's 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for, to, for, for you to make the word of God fully known. This is number, this is what we're talking about. I was made a minister. Number one, I will rejoice at all times. And, and if you look at Philippians 3.10, in your outline, it says here that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in death. Paul had this desire to be like Jesus Christ. Take it out on me. James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I think that when you meet trials of various kinds, we say, whoa, is me. Why me? Poor little old me. I call it the plum syndrome. Poor little old me. You know, things are just happening to me like, I can't believe it. And then this happens. And then that happens. Oh, and, and you know, we're just like frustrated with things that are happening to us in the world. James says, count it all pure joy. Paul did. Count it joy. 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Didn't we just talk about steadfastness? Didn't we just say that Paul said that a little while ago? It says, if indeed you could continue in faith, stable and steadfast. See, every one of these apostles knew that your steadfastness was your indicator of your salvation. Going through these things, struggling through these things, you know, suffering through these things, these trials that are going on in your life. And, and beloved, they're going to come. Trials are going to come. They just happened. Because it, it and, and this is what produces that steadfastness. You want to be strong. You want to steadfast. Well, you got to go through trials. That's how you do it. You, you go through trials and you go through trials. And, and let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. The word is not perfect like we know it. Perfect, more perfect is meaning more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That you become mature, being able to say, you know, bring it on. What, what else you got? What else you got, Satan? What else you going to throw at me? Okay, bring it on. And, and so James says, and, and James is talking to the church that is being persecuted at this time. James was the pastor of Jerusalem. James was the one that, that took on the reins at that time, the, one of the disciples. And James was not the brother of Jesus, James. James the disciple. And he says, you know what? Let me move the church forward. I learned from Jesus Christ. And I'm learning from Paul. I'm learning from the Holy Spirit. And he led the church during the persecution as they continued to persecute them. And Peter says this. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words... Some people are going to suffer because basically what Peter is saying, you're going to suffer because of some of the dumb choices that you make. You know, I've experienced that. I've suffered because of some of the dumb choices that I made, either financially, relationally. Uh, you know, I make, I make stupid choices. And, and because of that, a lot of people say, oh, God is punishing me or God is doing this to me or Satan is attacking me or everybody, you know. No, that's not the kind of suffering Paul is talking about. That's not the kind of suffering that the Bible talks about. Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler or a gossiper or somebody that just got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. That's not why you're suffering. I mean, yes, you're suffering, but that's not the kind of suffering that he's talking about. Yet, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Work. Why is that word there? Okay, number two. I will, I will perform as a minister of the gospel. I will perform as a minister of the gospel. I will rejoice at all times, regardless of what's happening. I'm going to rejoice in prison while I'm happy, in my sickness, in my, in my sickbed. I'm going to rejoice. And I'm also going to perform as a minister of the gospel. Paul says, I became a minister. Now, something about that word. I, I think when you think about a minister, a minister is highly elevated. A minister sometimes is even put on a, on a pedestal. A minister sometimes is thought of as, you know, I can't do that. You know, that's not what I can do. You know, that's, that's his position. He went to school for that. You know, he was ordained and, and he was, you know, he's anointed, you know, by the Holy Ghost. And, you know, he's got doses of ghosts and all kinds of stuff going on in his life. And, you know, I, I can't, I can't walk on water like he does because he's the minister, the man of the cloth. And it's interesting because Paul is in prison saying that he's a minister. It's interesting because Paul doesn't use, he uses a word here that, that, that is, is somewhat familiar to some of us, but, he, but he doesn't use the word, uh, poimen, which is a pastor. You know, I was made a, a poimen. And, and as a matter of fact, our translation in the English Standard Version is kind of, you know, you know, I like the King James Version or the New King James Version where it says, I was made 
a minister. The New American Standard Version says the same thing. I was made, the New Living Translation says, I was, uh, I was proclaimed and I was, I was made a minister of the gospel. He says, I was, it wasn't by my doing. It wasn't because of what, you know, I'm, I'm walking along, minding my own business, thinking I'm doing what's right, and kaboom, I'm knocked down. And I was made a minister of this gospel. He didn't use the word presbyteros. I, I was made an elder. He didn't use the word um, overseer, overseer. He didn't use any of these other words. The word that he used here is diakonos, where we get our word deacon. Now, you got to understand that this word deacon, again, that word deacon has been elevated. That position has been so elevated in some churches that they basically run the church. And deacons sometimes are the ones that even run the pastor. But when you find what the word deacon means in the New Testament, there was a time that the church was growing. And it was just being overfilled with all kinds of people. There was Hellenistic women, uh, Jewish women, and there was Gentiles, the Grecian women, and you know, those that are Gentiles. And they were being fed... Uh, not necessarily just the women, but the, the widows. The widows were being taken care of, and the widows were the ones that were being ministered to. And it seemed like there was a favoritism being played to the Hellenistic women, the Jewish women. And the, the Grecian women, they said, well, what about us? You know, we're not getting any food. We're not getting any, we only get what's left over. But the Jewish women are the, I thought we were all one. And so they brought it to the apostles. The apostles says, you know what? We're praying. We're searching the scriptures. We're looking to see what God wants us to do next. We need people, godly people, men full of the spirit and wisdom to move this church forward. So they elected seven deacons. And the word deacon is a word that is used as a table waiter. Now, I've described it like this. A table waiter is not the waiter, not the maitre d', the one that greets you at the front and sits you down, and not the one that brings you the, but the waiter is the one that takes your menu, doesn't even do anything really, but just takes your menu, takes some of your flack, I guess, but she, all she does is takes it to the back, the cook and the sous chef, they cook it, and it's the table waiters that bring the food to you, and when you're done, they're the ones that stick their hands in your greasy food and put it all together and they take it away, and then the waitress comes by and you tip her, oh, you guys... Beautiful restaurant. Thank you. She gets all the accolades. The deacon is the one handling all the slop. The deacon is the one making sure that everything is taken care of. The deacon is the one that serves. Paul says, I was made a deacon. I was made a minister. A minister is one who serves, not one who uh, is served. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I didn't come to be first. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That is the example that Paul says, a minister is not just the guy that preaches the gospel. Now, a pastor should be a minister. You cannot just put a pastor in place that does not want to serve. It, it can't be that way. And what the way the pastor serves, especially of a big church, first of all, he's a pastor and he feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, he works with the sheep, and he continues with the sheep. And once a year, he shears them. Okay. And next, you know, and he just, and the pastor can't make sheep. No matter how much he tries, he cannot make sheep. The sheep make the sheep. And so he disciples them so they can make sheep and they grows them and develops them. And it's the pastor that is overseen, but he has to be a minister first and foremost. And what the pastor does as the church grows, he becomes an ad minister and he grows you to be the ministers. You see what I'm saying? For a pastor, a lot of times, when I say a lot of people, oh yeah, well that's good, you know, and I agree, and that sounds good. Yeah, I should sacrifice myself. I should, you know, but, but, but you're the pastor, you know, you're, you're supposed to say that. But it's the sheep that are producing other sheep 
that are like, you know what, we're the satisfied customers. And when they hear you becoming ministers of the gospel, it has a different tone. It has a different flair to it, a different flavor, because you are the one that has received this gospel message, and now you are being the ministers, the servers, those that are serving the community. You see, I will perform as a minister of the gospel. Number two, I will perform as a minister of the gospel because Paul performed as a minister of the gospel according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. God's God's stewardship, his grace laid it upon Paul and he says, you will be my minister to make the word of God fully known. Your responsibility, my responsibility as ministers of the gospel is to make God's word known. Not my psychology, not the... Excuse me, not the music, not the songs, not anything else. It is to make the word of God known. That's what the gospel message does. And that's who you are as ministers. You see, we, we talked about this last week. Paul says, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God reconciled you to be reconcilers of this world, reconcile people to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, a minister. Is another word for that. It is, is one that goes into another nation, an ambassador, an actual ambassador from the United States, goes to China, to Russia, to all these other nations as a minister, as one that is representing the United States. Jesus Christ, Paul says that you are now ambassadors for Jesus Christ. God making his appeal through us. You see it, and when Jesus Christ saved you, and when he cleansed you, he made you pure. Mature. He made you spotless, blameless, above reproach. And, and if you don't live your life above reproach, blameless, spotless, mature, you're not going to be a very good ambassador or a minister at that point. If it's all about me, if it's all about you, if it's all about, well, woe is me, why me, why do I got to do this? You know, I guess I better be here. <laughs> Pastor said I got to do this. And if it's not about Jesus Christ, then you got, you got it all wrong. It's not about you. It's about proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. You, you know, and, and I think we, we kind of, we're okay. I'm okay with you saying, you know, you know, brother, I, I was able to pre- present the gospel and I, I did. And these people got saved and praise God because I've been praying for them. You, you know, that I think is, is good news. That is, that is a praise report that I believe the church ought to hear. However, the approach has got to be in a humble state. But a lot of times people say, well, look what I've done. I've reached so many people. I've saved so many people. I've done this and I've done that. And look at me. Look at me, me, me. There was a pastor that came out just recently, a very popular pastor. They basically started saying, you know, I, I've trained so many people. I've sent so many missionaries out. I've planted so many. I, 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 I. It was, it was very disheartening for those that knew him, to see this pastor elevate himself in such a way. And Paul says, you know, if I boast, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. I, I need to. I have to. You ought to fear what would happen if you didn't. I fear what would happen if I didn't share the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I went to a funeral one time and took a bunch of my friends from 
BFC and we were all there, you know, the person that we knew and they asked me to preach and I preached the gospel. One of the ladies said to me, she says, yeah, Pastor Sal, every time you go up and, and you, you always preach the gospel. I says, I'm afraid what's going to happen if I don't. <laughs> I've got to preach the gospel. We, we're, at, we're having a, a, a memorial service for uh, our sister Lupi that passed away just recently. And, uh, I, and we're, we're going to have it here. And, and I want to preach the gospel. I asked, can I preach the gospel? And for those of you that are able to, we're going to have a memorial service for uh, uh, Sylvia's son, which is going to be up in, in Victorville. And we've given you the information if you still need it. Uh, we want you to be there because the gospel needs to be proclaimed, not just by me, but by you. And every opportunity that I get, and, and to, be, to be honest with you, beloved, I've done this to, to such an extent that I've been asked not to come back. I'm sorry, but we're not going to ask you to come back. Why? Because all you want to talk about is getting people saved. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you just you just affirmed <laughs> what I was trying to do. Thank you. Okay, I, I won't. You know, God will get the gospel out some other way. Amen? Because I will perform as a minister of the gospel because that's who you are. You are a minister. You are a deacon. You're a servant. I am a servant. We are all table waiters. Jesus is the main pastor. He's the head of this church. Amen? Number three. Okay, this way. <laughs> Number three. I, I will promote the riches of his glory. Look what he says on the next few chapters, next few verses. He says, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. This mystery is not this ooh scary type of mystery like you might be thinking. Okay, this mystery is not something that is scary or spooky. Mystery had a different meaning back then, mysterion. And, uh, and I'll explain it to you here in just a little bit. But this mystery that was hidden, it was more of a, uh, it was more of a veiled, uh, prophecy. It was it, a prophecy that was stated that people didn't know exactly what it meant. What does that mean? What does that mean that all nations would come? What does that mean that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess? We know that that's not going to happen. What does that mean? How does that, how does that play out later on in the future? Until Jesus Christ came, then the veil was taken back and that mystery was made known. And here's the mystery. Jewish people constantly believed that God was their God. Rightly so. However, he told Abraham, and you will be a blessing to all nations. They didn't understand that mystery to them. They didn't understand how they were going to be a blessing. They were supposed to bless other nations. They kept God to themselves. We're God's chosen people. It's just for us. None of you can get to God unless you become like us. You got to be a proselyte. You got to give yourself up and, and forget everything else. And, and, and if you don't, if you don't become a Jew like us, then you can't, you can't get none of the blessings. Sorry. You can't get none of what God has. It's just for us. So if you want some of this, then you have to be part of us, basically is what it was. And Paul, and when Paul was arrested, as I said earlier, he was arrested because he was giving the message out to Gentiles. And the Jews said that, that's, that's not good, but that's the mystery. The mystery has always been that Jesus Christ, the, the Christ, first and foremost, the Messiah, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Christ, which is the same word but in Greek for the New Testament, the Christ was to die for the sin of the world, of those that are His, not only just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And Paul was proclaiming this message, and he was sharing this message, and people didn't like this. As a matter of fact, he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to His saints, those that are called out. Saints aren't these people that have died. Saints aren't people that have committed a uh, miracle, done a miracle from a long time ago. Saints aren't these old people. You are saints. A saint is a called out person. 
is not this elevated, uh, exalted person that we, that we worship and we venerate and we, we make statues out of. That's not what a saint is. And I know some Christians have a hard time with the word saint because of what the, the, the churches have done with their statues and idols and such. We don't, we don't, we don't support that. We don't see that because it's not biblical. When, when Paul is talking about saints, he's talking about the people here. He says, you know, he says here once again, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his called out ones. Hagios, the called out ones. You guys, you guys are saints. I, I can come up to you and say, you know, Saint James, you know, or Saint Daniel, or Saint Ken. Thank God we don't have anybody here named Bernard. Uh, never mind. I'll, I'll just keep going. He says the mystery that was hidden, the fact that you know what, this is for everyone. This is for all. The, Jesus Christ came and He died for His elect, and it includes Jews as well as Gentiles. And the Jews were like, no, 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 we can't have that. Yes, it's like that. Do not call unholy what I have called holy. Do not call unclean what I have called clean. It's all for you to see. Peter had that vision. He had that, I can't go to these Gentiles' house. A Jew couldn't walk into a Gentile's house. He had to stand, you know, at least seven paces behind or outside. And he couldn't even get close to it. As a matter of fact, if you saw a Jew or, excuse me, a Gentile coming toward you, you would have to go the opposite direction. You couldn't associate. You couldn't shake hands. I met a group of people that were uh, Hasidic Jews. And, and uh, one time my, my daughter was working on a set and they were making a movie. And, and so she invited me. And I went over and I stood there and I said, hey, how you doing? They're like this. Oh, we're doing really good. They won't, they won't touch a Jew or a Gentile. Those that are, those that are, you know, very strict Jews, they won't touch anybody else. They'll always walk around like this. Ah, and they'll bow. And, and, and I remember, ah, Yamharitz, people of the land. They go, well, oh, you know that? Says, well, yeah, it's okay. We won't get into it. But he says to them, Paul continues, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As a minister, I'm going to rejoice in all things through my suffering. I'm going, to, I'm going to minister because I'm a deacon. I'm a servant. And I'm going to serve whoever. I'm not going to be told who to serve and who not to serve. You know, if the table is, is dirty, I'm going to clean it up. And I'm going to be there and I'm going to promote God's riches to everyone. You know, there are a lot of people that, that come to church. And I've heard this many times before. I was afraid. I was afraid to come to church. Why? I thought maybe something was going to happen to me. What do you, you think the building was going to fall on you? And you know, that's kind of funny. But, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, <laughs> I thought, you know, God was going to strike me down because I'm a sinner. I, you know, and, and that, beloved, is the first indication that this person is getting saved. The fact that you recognize that you're a sinner. I, I, I can't go in there. You, you guys are all perfect. I can't do nothing in there. You guys, no, you, you know, I, I, I can't. I won't. I know what I've done. And just this morning, and you're gonna let me in? <laughs> and people have an aversion to the building, to the people, because they really believe that I, I, I don't belong there. I, I, I'm not worthy. Yes, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're, we're all not worthy. None of us are worthy. Well, yeah, but you guys are on a higher plane. No, we're not. And beloved, if you know anything about what's been going on here, and how you've been learning, and how you've been studying, and how you've been reading. You, you've, I, I pray that you've come to a, a place in your life of, man, I'm really bad. I'm really broke. Man, I, I'm really messed up. The more, the closer you get to God, 
the closer you get to that mirror and you start, the closer you get in there, you start to see all the imperfections. You know, hold it way back here, God. I I, I don't want to see it that close, but you're, you are, you're desiring. God is calling you to look closer and closer. And the closer that you get to his word, the more sin that you find in your life that you got to get rid of. Yes, we're not worthy. And that is, those are the riches that we have to explain to people and share with them. You know, God has such a, an immense treasury of riches that he wants to give you. Starting number one with forgiveness. He's going to forgive my sin. I've shared with you on how I came to the Lord. And I said, I want my kids to grow up in church. What about you? God doesn't want me. Why not? But he does. Pastor, you don't know the things I've done, places I've been, things I've seen. I, you know, if you die right now, would you go to heaven? No, I know I'm going to hell. But I, I kind of I deserve that. He goes, yeah, you do. But by the grace of God, he shared the grace of God with me at that time. And I said, if that is good, I will worship him forever. And you don't come to Jesus Christ to fix your problems. Okay, because he, he, he may and he may not. You come to Jesus to worship him, to thank him for saving your soul from an everlasting damnation that he has upon every sinner that is not willing to repent. And so salvation is for those that recognize, I, I'm, not, I'm a sinner. I, have mercy upon me. It's like the two men that came forward, Jesus' parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee says, Lord, you know, look how good I am. You must be really proud of me. I tithe. Uh, you know, I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I'm not a slave. I'm not like this guy. You know, I'm nothing like that. You know, look, look how righteous I am. And the Pharisee was on his knees begging, God, have mercy on my life. I'm a sinner. That's how you come to Jesus. I'm a sinner. I, I have mercy upon me. And when that happens, he transforms you. He changes you. He makes you a new believer, a new creation. You're born again. The old is gone. The new has come. The good news, the gospel message, the gospel, the good news, synonymous, cannot be heard without the bad news. That we are all sinful. And Paul says in Romans 10, 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Number four, I will proclaim Jesus Christ. Not myself, not the church. I'm not going to proclaim, you know what, God's going to fix your problems. I'm not going to proclaim, you know, come to Jesus and everything would be okay. No, you come to Jesus and worship him and you love him. Because the church is designed to bring glory to God. You were made to enjoy, to, to glorify God, to worship him. That's what you were made for. That's what you were saved for. And you, you go through life rejoicing in all things. You go through life as a minister. Hey, you know what? I'll pick up, I'll pick up the dirty dishes. I'll do whatever I can to be able to promote the riches of God's glory, to proclaim Jesus' name. I will do so because he saved me from an everlasting life of damnation. And we proclaim his name. We proclaim Jesus Christ, not the pastor, not the church, not the music. You know, and, and I, I know that there are a lot of people that say, you need to come hear my pastor. You need to watch him on Facebook. You need to listen to, look look at Jesus. Look to him. Point people to Jesus. Because inevitably what's going to happen, people are going to come, you come see my pastor, come meet my pastor. They're going to meet me and guess what? They're going to be disappointed. They just get, you know, that guy? Really? <laughs> After, yeah, I don't know. And now they're not going to want to hear about Jesus. You know, yeah, forget it, you know. But you point them to Jesus, and regardless of what I say or what I do, I don't care, you know, if I fall down or make a stupid joke or whatever, you know what? 
yeah, this guy's a work in progress. <laughs> because God is good. Amen? I will proclaim Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Beloved, you got to warn people. Paul says, you know what? I'm warning everyone. Time is short. You're going to die. And you know what? You won't make it to heaven unless you repent. The gospel message. The gospel message is that. You know, and, and that's just a given. I know a lot of people, they go and they talk about, you know, you go share the gospel. Oh, God is so good. He's got a great plan for your life. That's not the gospel message. I mean, as real as that is, he does have a great plan for your life and God is good. Oh, he's just going to take care of all your worries and all your problems. That's not the gospel message. And which in turn, he just might. It doesn't mean he has to. He just may. I mean, I know a lot of people that lives were changed and because of their obedience to God, doing what was need to be done. He changed their lives because now they are walking the walk. He's not going to change your life if you're living in sin. I tell people this all the time that are living in sin. You want God to bless your marriage and you're living in sin? It's not even a marriage. How's he, how does that work? <laughs> you know, you want God to bless you? I had one lady say, to me, you know, I, this is what I got to do. I've got to, I don't know what's happening. Me and my boyfriend, we keep breaking up, going back together, you know, and so I'm thinking about moving out. Well, you guys live together. Yeah. So well, you know, the Bible says about that, that that's sin. He goes, yeah, I know. So what are you going to do? I don't know. I think I'm going to pray about it. You're going to pray about living in sin? Really? Come on. When the Bible says don't do it, just don't do it. And see, this is what happens. You grow steadfast and strong and you mature and you become a little bit more understanding of what the word says and you start working those, those, what the Bible is saying and you start talking to God and he's showing you what to get rid of. And, and, you know, and after several years, you look back and you say, oh, wow. Look how, look how far God has brought me through. Not because you came to him for that to happen, but you came to him because you wanted to be obedient and follow in his footsteps. I will listen. I will follow all of my days. Because he is worthy. He is holy. He's worthy of my praise. And so we warn people, everyone, in teaching everyone with all wisdom, and we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal of this church. I want to present you mature in Christ. My goal is to get you to a point where you can see the word, you can hear the word, and you can do the word. Say that with me. I want to see the word. I want to hear the word. I want to do the word. One more time. I want to see the word. I want to hear the word. I want to do the word. When you do the word, beloved, you mature. Things, you know, you start maturing. And you know what? Bring what may come. What may, may come. Bring it on. You know, because I, I'm hearing the word. I'm seeing the word. And I'm doing the word. And, you know, you bring whatever comes. Let it happen. The gospel message, as, as good as that sounds, that God wants to take care of all your problems, that, that, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ. He died on this cross, or a cross, to forgive your sin. Because I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner. But now I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I committed my life to serve Jesus because I placed my faith in what Jesus Christ did. I'm not doing it on my own accord. I'm not trying to make it on my own. I understand that Jesus Christ has done it for me. Very simple. Very basic. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the people in Corinth, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You know, Pastor, that was just, that was harsh. That was shameful. Yeah, you know, I feel bad. That's not why I'm doing it. You know, I can't believe he told people that. You know, I can't believe he said it that way. You know, I, somebody came to me last Sunday and says, I can't believe you used that word in church, but it's true. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again now. But, 
Now you're going to have to go back. What door was it? Oh, some of you remember. I can't believe you said that. But it's true, they said. You know, I go, yeah. You know, because that's exactly what we're doing. And, and the people, I don't say it to, to make you ashamed or to, to get you embarrassed. Or I don't, no. I say this, not, not, but to admonish you. Because you are my beloved. Paul saw his people as his children. He saw all the people that he ministered to as his children. And now at my age, you see, when I started back when I was 40 years old, I couldn't see people that were like me as my children. But now that I'm older, you know, some of you are like my grandchildren, you know? Okay, kind of like my grandchildren. God has given us the ability to grow together. And, if, and when I say something to you, and if it's, if it's not right, please let me know. But I, I, I am not a counselor. I gave up counseling 15 years ago. People would come to me and I had, you know, titles and degrees and I've studied psychology and I, I have all this understanding of how the psyche works and what psychology is meant to do. And I, I come to realize psychology really is not to, to fix you. It's to keep you in your state because the psychologist doesn't want to fix you. He wants to keep you dependent upon him so that he can make this, well, whatever it is that he's charging. And another thing that I found out is that you go to one psychologist and says, well, this is what's going on. This is what you got to do. You go to another psychologist, oh, you got to do this. You got to. They, they, they can never agree as to what the issue is. And most psychologists, they'll argue amongst themselves. Beloved, I've become a theologian. I'll show you what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. You're living in sin. You know, you, you've got hatred in your heart. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're glorifying God. That's why some of these things seem to be happening to you. Because of your glory to God, Satan doesn't like that. I, I'm, I'm a theologian, and I'll show you what the Word of God says. And so I'm going to admonish you, and, and I'm going to, because I love you, and not because I want to make you ashamed or embarrassed. And, and you know, I, and just commit with me. Number five, just commit with me. I will pray for my family and friends. You, you know, you may be going to heaven, and great, fantastic. But you know, if your family and friends aren't listening to the gospel and haven't heard it, and you're ashamed to share it because of, for whatever reason, and you don't want to talk to them about, you know, their sin, because you don't want to offend, you know, it's, I don't want to cross those lines, our culture says you can't do that. You're already under persecution. I mean, you know, you're already seeing that you're being ostracized because you won't go with their pronouns or you won't go with their understanding of what they believe. You know, there was a time that says, you got to accept us. Okay, we accept. Well, yeah, you, you guys want to do what you want to do? We accept. Okay, now you've got to believe with us the same thing. You know, well, I, I don't want to believe, you know, but okay. But now you got to participate. And if you don't participate, then you're ostracized. And some people are afraid to share the gospel to people like that. Never, ever underestimate the power of the gospel message. It's not you, beloved. It's not you saving them. It's the powerful gospel message, the word of God, the good news to a sinful world. That's why we pray for our families and friends. And if you're not sharing the gospel message to your families and friends, basically you're telling them, you know what? You can go to hell. I'm going to heaven, but you go to hell. I know it's kind of harsh, but that's a biblical word because that's exactly where the sinner is going to spend eternity. That might be your spouse. That might be your brother, your mom, your dad. The people that you really say that you care about. The people that you really say that you love. Do you really? Do they know the same Jesus that you know? Do they know the gospel message? Pray for them. 
God will give you the words. For this, I toil, Paul says. I struggle. I go in, in, in strength, struggling with, in anguish. It's the, it's the words that he would use as a, the words he used were, 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 were the word anguish, or a, I forget what the Greek word is, but it meant to struggle like a, a Olympic or a wrestler or a boxer that you work out and you work out. He says, I'm doing this. I'm struggling with all his energy. That he powerfully works within me. And, and I, I try to look at the scriptures and, and struggle through them and read them. And, and I, I take this message and part of what I heard over here. And, and how do I get the gospel message to a dying world? Beloved, it has not changed. The same message. It's a different culture. And it's the same culture all at the same time. Different people. Same names. Different names. Different people. However you want to put it. But you know what? It's still the gospel message. You're a sinner, and you're going to be separated from, from God for all eternity unless you repent. See, that's the good news. You repent, you get saved. Bottom line, that's all it is. See, that's why Jesus Christ died, buried, and resurrected. That's why Jesus invaded this planet as a child, to show the way. The Spirit helps us, Romans 8.26. You might be saying, well, what do I pray for? How do I pray? And you're thinking, yeah, I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I'm on my knees. I don't even know what to say. Well, guess what? The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans and deep that are too deep for words. And so now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we at, that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You pray. You pray, and if you don't know what to pray, just bow your, your knees and just, Lord, my, my, my brother, my sister, my spouse, my kids, my kids, Lord, you know I love my kids. I love my kids. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't, you know, and you're, you're there in tears, and you're looking at your children just destroy their lives, and Lord, I, what, Lord? And Paul promises this. He says, you know what? He's going to do far more abundantly in all that we ask or think. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. We ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we do come to a place where we, we have to trust you, Lord. We can't do this on our own. It's only by your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Even in our prayers, we don't even know what to pray or how to pray. But I know, Holy Spirit, that you intercede for us, even right now as we're praying within our hearts. Each one of us have somebody in mind as I spoke these words. And it was just so graphic to realize that I'm telling this person to go to hell when I don't share the gospel message. And Lord, it is graphic and it is severe. But Father, let not that be us. Give us the words. Lord, you are the one that's going to make that change in that person. You're going to use us. You're the one that's going to save them, but you're going to use us. You're, it's not my words. It's not my eloquence. It's not the, the, the gospel presentation or the steps that I need to take. I just need to be obedient because you're going to do far more than anything I ever think or imagine when I submit myself to you. So Lord, help us to rejoice in all things and our sufferings. Help us to perform as ministers to the gospel, to get down into the trenches and do the things that we need to do. Help us not to leave it just to the pastor or to the leaders. Help me to promote the riches and just the glory that you give to those that are yours. 
and to proclaim Jesus Christ, not my pastor, not my church, not myself, but to proclaim Jesus. And Lord, I will commit to pray for these individuals that are in my heart right now, that are in my mind, that I'm thinking of right now. I will pray for them. And I will share this gospel message. Thank you, Lord, once again for this day. Lord, we are celebrating this time of Christmas. And as we bring people, you bring people to this place, help us to be able to minister to them and share the gospel message. Thank you once again for all that you do, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. We have our... Santa Cena. I just remembered that.